Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break Podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the Wave Break Podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the growth marketing platform most recommended by other business leaders. Listen, in uncertain times, you need to be supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers. It's going to be appreciated. It's going to be remembered. It's going to be shared. And in good times and bad, this type of communication that's open and empathetic with your customers is key. This is a key theme that we've been talking about at Waybreak. I've been preaching this on the podcast. And when you're communicating with your customers in this way, the best way to do this is with email. It is and always will be one of the best channels for delivering communication like this. And what I love about Klaviyo is that email is one of its core offerings. And their personalization that you can do inside Klaviyo is just, it can't be beat. And when you leverage that personalization driven by a 360 degree view of the customer, these emails are going to feel more relevant and they're going to drive even stronger relationships. And Klaviyo gets it. They're not just, you know, some company. They understand how challenging it is right now for every entrepreneur. You know, it was hard to get your business off the ground and navigating these times is even harder. And if you're feeling overwhelmed with growing your business, know that you're not alone. Klaviyo is here to help you build relationships across any distance for your brand and create memorable and meaningful email marketing moments that last a lifetime. And that's how you build a successful e-commerce brand. And this is why I love Klaviyo so much, because they're on the same page with me and Wavebreak. is like, we're not just about making more revenue. That's great. But what this is really about is an opportunity to create an amazing community with your customers. And the best way to do it is with email. And if you're not on Klaviyo, you got to get on Klaviyo. Visit klaviyo.com to schedule a free trial. That's K-L-A-V-I. IYO.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Wavebreak Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Kelly, founder and CEO of Wavebreak. We're a lifecycle email and SMS marketing agency to some of the fastest growing direct consumer e commerce and retail brands. Q3 is upon us, Q4 is going to be here before we know it. If you don't have a best-in-class email and SMS strategy this Q4, you're going to leave money on the table, and now is the time to get it dialed in. You can learn more about partnering with my team at wavebreak.com. Today on the show, I'm joined by Lucas Lappi, co-founder of Doris Dev, Factored Quality, and Canopy. What's unique about Lucas and what I'm really excited about is he has spent a lot of time on the product side as co-founder and head of product at Doris Dev. They are the product agency behind a lot of high growth direct consumer brands. So he has a lot of insight on supply chain and manufacturing. He's also co-founder at Factored Quality, um, where they focus on quality control. And then he's also co-founder of a direct consumer brand called Canopy that has reimagined the humidifier. And it's a really interesting product and uh, he has really interesting background. And so I'm gonna grill him today on everything from supply chain to manufacturing to strategy to running and scaling a D2C brand from zero to a million in revenue in 90 days and everything in between. Uh, really excited for today's episode. Let's get right into it. Lucas, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's uh, let's dive in. Let's break that down. So already founder of three companies, which is, you know, being a founder of one company that works with a bunch of D2C brands is a lot, uh, let alone three. Give us the give us the breakdown. What's Doris Dev? What's Canopy? What's Factored Quality? Yeah, I think we can start with Doris Dev because that's like the kind of the easy one and it explains kind of the bigger picture. So Doris Dev is a product development firm, physical product development, not software, any of that. We build products for direct consumer brands primarily, but we also work with large incumbents as well. We have industrial design teams, design engineering teams, manufacturing, supply chain management, quality control and compliance, all the fun stuff, freight operations, that that good things, all, all, all the stuff to get, for, get your product from really concept to selling and shipping to life, a finished customer. We started it five years ago um, with... Um, I was actually based in Hong Kong at the time, um, but with the goal of helping great founders build great products, we were seeing a lot of you know great design firms designing really beautiful stuff, and then you know it kind of dying on the vine because it was too hard to make. So we came in to you know work with those founders to refine their designs and get them a really really great product that they could sell and they could sell profitably, um, and have since built a very fun business working with great founders and great partners that have been partners with us for almost five years now for a lot of them. And then we got to work with really great 
brand teams that were that were running these companies and we looked at you know what they were doing and we said we want to start our own brand and as people in service businesses that's kind of like what you always do you're like oh are my clients that good x y and z like they're you know they're paying us but like i would make way better decisions in their shoes and it was our opportunity to like test that a little bit um i would say that a lot of service companies underestimate how important a client is clients are like as painful as they can be they are really generally very fucking good at their job they are like they know their product very well they know what they want they have their vision and they are focused on generally the right things sometimes they're skewed in the wrong way but um they work really hard and they believe in their product and that's really important so we looked at what our clients were doing and how you know they were structuring their teams and we you know had an idea for a product um which was a humidifier and diffuser brand that was focused on beauty and wellness and the idea came from me being from LA moving to New York and seeing that like oh i need a humidifier now what a weird crappy product it gets gross all the time then effectively saying it's fine it's gross i'm just going to throw it out every season and it doesn't matter because i'm a bad person and that's just who i am um there i'm not going to maintain my products and they're crap they're cheap and then I started dating a girl who I am still dating, you know, 7 years later, 8 years later, and she used her humidifier year-round as a beauty hack and I was like, wow, this is interesting and she used it year-round and she used, she cleaned it every weekend like religiously with Q-tips and vinegar and it was like this light went on was like, oh, this is a great product to develop. I hate these this product category and here's a, cu- a customer who wants a better product that's using it year round that demands more from this from this product category and who touches a weirdly expensive but crappy humidifier that she got at Twain Reed every single night before she goes to bed and thinking that like can we make this experience better and can we make it more delightful um and so we launched canopy uh, almost 18 months ago. Um, and that team went from effectively one full-time employee, uh, and co-founder who is, who's Eric, who's the CMO of that business, who's really owned the, uh, the brand marketing owned the like vision for what the, the brand could be. Um, and then hi- effectively we hired Doris Dev to develop engineer, do all of that with the product and manage the supply chain. Um, and have since launched that business that that team at Canopy is now seven people standalone. Um, and that's how we've been able to build Canopy in, into its own brand. And then we still have Doris, um, who services both Canopy and 25 other direct consumer brands, primarily managing, you know, tens of millions of parts a year across thousands of shipments, across dozens of suppliers, across all of it. So. It's lots of, you know, a lot of millions of categories. You can check out our website. We get to do a lot of different things. I'll pause there. Any questions before I get into the So many questions. So many questions. <laughs> so making, you, you touched on this before, like making the transition from service provider to, okay, we're going to have our own in-house brand. What was, what was that like? Like what was some of the most surprising things you learned along the way? Cause I'm sure you've had, and you kind of touched on that already, but those thoughts where it's like, Hmm, it's like, they really don't seem that smart. Like we could totally do way better than this. Just, um, you know, having those conversations and meeting some people, but like, what were some of the most surprising things transitioning over to brand side? Fundraising is really hard. <laughs> oh, like raising really money difficult. for the brand. Yeah. It's really hard. And I, I would say that like one, it was hard doing it as like a bunch of like nerdy dudes who wanted to launch a beauty business. And Eric, thank God, Eric is not a nerdy dude, but he is a dude. I would say coming from investors here, pitches from service providers all all the time. It is like every service provider has has an idea and, and every investor is like, sounds good. Close your service business and come talk to us. And you're like, eh, maybe not. Like that probably isn't the wisest move. There's synergies here. Um, but that was really hard. I would say getting beat up by investors was <laughs> miserable. Interesting. And I can't do it. I like whenever I get a no from an investor, I'm like, I 
this is the end. I'm never, I can't work again. I'm going to crawl into a ball and hide. You know, that's really surprising because I feel like it's like, oh, we, we have this data set. Like we already know what works and what doesn't. And they're still like, yeah, we'll shut the data set down. <laughs> then we'll talk. Exactly. That's hilarious. Yeah. And so did you end up launching before you ended up raising money or you raised before? Or when did you, when did you try to raise money for the brand? Yeah. I mean, we were raising in like February and March, 2020. So, which was a great time to raise money. It was sick. <laughs> uh, and we ended up, you know, not being able to raise very, very much money. And I think that that's both good and bad. We put ourselves on a, you know, we were scrappy to begin with and we always wanted to be scrappy and then we had to be scrappy. So, you know, we raised a little bit of money, you know, effectively us being the largest investors in the business by far. Um, and, you know, scaled it to doing a million dollars in the first 90 days of the business and then continuing to grow. And, you know, we're doing a lot, a lot more now, which is fun. Yeah. And then what was that initial, so like ramping the initial brand, like what was that like? Cause you have the product development already at the agency. So you understand that you probably understand like how you can keep costs low while still keeping quality high. Cause you have these relationships, you've been building products for a really long time. I guess like, what did that look like in terms of launch? Like, were you putting most of that money into the marketing? Was it ordering initial inventory? You know, cause I would think like, oh, you guys have the shortcut. You've got this, you know, superpower of this product development uh, arm that you're building out of what, tell me about that. Yeah, I would say, I mean, we, I think the numbers were launching the business with sub $200,000 in cash in total, everything ready for launch. I'd say product development and then branding, you know, we knew and from our experience that like spending $200,000 just on branding oftentimes does not create a big ROI and that there's a lot of, I don't know if it's snake oil or what, but like, People, service businesses need to make money. That is their business. They're oftentimes not incentivized to sell your product. They're incentivized to sell you a super sick brand deck. And so what important was important for us was finding great service providers on who one were game to do it very scrappily and then expensively and thank god we were doing it in the middle of covid because every service provider was very happy to do any amount of work <laughs> at that time and do it really efficiently and that was really exciting um and then we also brought in help effectively into doris dev where we said hey we need graphic design and marketing design we're not getting this from the the agencies we need we can bring it in house and doris dev can use this person and canopy can use this person and build a very, very scrappy creative muscle to launch the business extremely efficiently and with not a lot of overhead and any excess time that this person have is going to Doris to work on Doris and projects. Got it. Is that most of that going to inventory outside of the branding and you know getting the site set up and all that? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately not enough. We sold out like immediately. So we uh we ordered very, very little and we were back ordered from effectively like day 10 of the business until like the beginning of the following year we were like out of stock effectively and 18 months ago when was that so we're recording this in like the the middle of 2022 so that's like right right at the beginning of 2020 when you're getting everything ramped yeah exactly so that's when we were fundraising and starting that side of we had been working on this product in 2019 been playing with this product for years it is a product that i've been wanting to make for way way too long way 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 too long an embarrassing amount of time but we really started thinking about in 2019 2020 we said okay we're really going to do this we're going to raise that capital for it and then october 2020 we launched the, the business Got it. And then what was the launch strategy? Is it like, you know, run it up on f- Facebook ads? Was it PR driven? You sold out in 10 days. How'd you pull that off? Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, a ton of PR. I would say that, you know, we worked with a great PR agency um, called Ruff Communications. And Jenny Ruff is the hero. She's amazing. And, you know, we focus on beauty PR and 
it was really great for us. It, re- it really helped us. We found a niche for, for um, the voice of the brand and people who wanted to talk about it. Um, and it just continued to grow from there. Um, then we found baby PR and then that worked. Um, and then of course we did, we did Facebook ads, we did Google, we did all of that. And it, it really enabled the business to grow quickly and efficiently. Yeah, it worked. And then what's the, I so think, what's the, yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead. We got lucky. I don't, I have no idea. I, <laughs> Well, it's kind of like what, you know, we're evolving to this place where it's like, you can't just have a, it's, we're not in the same era as like, you know, looking around your bathroom and like launching another product online, like you could, you know, in 2013 to 2016. And so I think it says a lot too about like your product background. I think product first makes a lot of sense these days, just because like product itself is a huge differentiator. I mean, you see brands even today, they're like, oh, we want to go to TikTok. It's like, don't go to TikTok. You're going to get destroyed because your product's not any good. Which happens too, like TikTok. I look at the comments, like my buddy's like, yeah, our post was going viral the other day. I'm looking at the comments. I'm like, dude, these are not good. Like half of them weren't good. (laughs) Not even just like, they weren't ragging the product, but I was just like, wow. Like, you know, the comment section of TikTok is just very, it's intense. Uh, It's not not what you would expect, but, or maybe it is what you'd expect, but uh, no, I mean, (laughs) I, I think it makes a lot of sense. You have a great product. You guys are really good at product. And so, you know, solves, solves a real problem too. And now a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Okendo. Okendo is the new standard in customer reviews for high growth Shopify brands. We use them with our clients and they work with over 5,500 of the fastest growing Shopify retailers like Skims, Nomad, and Buck Mason to help them leverage their most powerful asset, their customers. Okendo gives brands all the tools they need to capture and showcase customer generated content like product reviews and ratings, photos and videos, and Q&A. Plus, they have an awesome integration with Klaviyo that makes it easy to do cool stuff like send review request emails and target shoppers based on review content. With super affordable monthly subscriptions, starting at $29 a month, it's really a no-brainer to me. Visit okendo.io to learn more today. That's O-K-E-N-D-O dot I-O, Okendo. Thanks, Okendo, for sponsoring the show. And then from scaling, like, how are you thinking about that? Because that's a bit different than a service business in terms of, you know, planning, demand planning, you have, now you have overhead, you have inventory that you got to sell through. Obviously you've had a lot of experience on that side of the business, working with a ton of brands doing that for them. But like, how did you think about it after you sold out those initial, uh, you know, units in those first 10 days? How did you think about scaling? Yeah. I mean, one, a service that doorstep does not offer is planning. And it's for a reason because we weren't very good at it to begin with, <laughs> and it showed showed with Canopy. You know, the we launched in also an insane time in the world where shipping went from taking you could get a, a product on a fast boat door to door was twenty one days from China to the U.S. and now it's a hundred days effectively, and so that absolutely changed the world for us in the middle of this crunch as well. We were launching and no one had any idea how to plan for inventory because no one how, knew how long the boats were going to take to get to China. But I would say when we look at a you know a service or how we built the service business and then how we looked at scaling canopy, you know, we looked at it very kind of scrap. I mean of course very very scrappily because we didn't have a lot of money to spend. And the way we saw it was, you know, we built effectively ev- everything to work for the next three or four months, and then it would break, and then we'd have to fix it again. And so, you know, we built, you know, our our order management system for ten thousand orders, and then it broke after that. And then we built it for a hundred thousand orders, and it broke after that. And then, it, you know, we built it for more, and it, it they break at that system, but you're able to you're not building for a business you don't have yet. You're building for a business that, or problems you like don't know are going to be real. You know, we see this with a lot of clients who are like, we want to get NetSuite in and a huge ERP. And we're like, why are you spending $200,000 on NetSuite? You don't have that much in revenue. It doesn't make sense. Please, dear God, don't do that. Or you're, you know, you want to hire like these super senior people to build out a team that like is building a product that doesn't exist yet. Like make sure you are building a team for the problems you have now or the problems you are 
very, very quickly about to have, um, because you may get into the position of like, great, you got a person who doesn't, who's not there to solve a problem. They're purely there to create problems for you and for the team. Um, so, you know, that's how we really thought about the team. And we were able to, one, most of our investors in Canopy were founders um, that we worked with at Doorstep. So they were huge, huge helps. And, you know, they were founders of small businesses that are, you know, have outsized effects on the market, or um, they're really successful VC funded businesses are really wide variety. And we were able to pick their brains about how they built their teams. Um, and it's been a huge help to see that and be super close to that. And that's how I would, I would say it's either, you know, it's talk to great people who have done it before. And then it's like, don't fix something until it's broken <laughs> generally, but fix it very quickly, very quickly when it breaks and expect it to break. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so like going from, you know, shipping times going from 21 days to a hundred days, and then, you know, the cost of you're selling like a really complex, well, it seems complex to me. You tell me, is it a complex device? Like, it seems pretty complex in terms of like, you know, you really reimagine the humidifier. So I imagine it's not like a real, it's not like you're just buying something off AliExpress and slapping branding on it. Let's just put it that way. Correct. Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> it is, it is relatively complex. And I would say that, you know, where, you know, the Doris dev team, you know, our background is in complex IOT products, you know, that's where we came from. You know, we have electrical firmware engineering, ton of compliance, you know, and we've worked on AC units. We've worked on, you know, products that have done tens of millions of pieces. We've worked on, you know, medical devices. We've worked on a bunch of things. And so we were able to pull from that experience for it. But I think we, on the logistics, side we just purely and and i don't think anyone did it right i mean the world was out america was out of stuff for a while like i mean we're still out of furniture effectively like you can't buy a piece of furniture right now still yeah i've got all of my friends who have their nice new houses with no furniture with like with camping chairs in them but you know that was very very hard and i think the marketing team and at canopy did an amazing job to be able to, you know, retain customers and say, we're sorry for like, we're so sorry for shipping delays and like everything happens. And luckily we were in a time where, where this is very common, but you know, we've learned from it. We've learned how to hold inventory, the right amount of inventory and plan accordingly. But how it's did hard. you, yeah. Did you have to like reprice the product? Because, you know, I'm, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh, chip shortage. I, I don't know if there's a chip in a humidifier, but I'm like, oh, it's electronic device. Like that obviously has its own. Well, anyway, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, did you have to increase pricing? Did you, because not just shipping happened, but like a bunch of things happened, like kind of at a really unlucky time for you guys. But um yeah. Did you have to change pricing at all or anything like that? Long way to say, hey, did you have to increase pricing? Yeah. No. No, we didn't. We didn't have to change pricing at all. We, you know, we really looked at optimizing the product. You know, we launched the product relatively quickly. And so we, and what's nice about having, you know, Doris Dev and the whole product team is we are able to look at the product and start optimizing as much as possible. So, I mean, the biggest thing we've done is like, we've reduced packaging costs by like, more than 50%. We've reduced packaging size by 30%. We're just like shoving more and more in a smaller box. And we are optimizing like at all costs across the entire product. Um, while at the same time, you know, and it's really interesting for the designers to say that like, hey, if you shave off, you know, a dollar off the freight costs, we're going to give you half of that to go spend it on like, really cool collateral or like really cool something else. And like both teams win. We, we win by like saving money on the freight and we get to apply dollars to something that like a customer cares about. Cause the customer does not care if they, if their box is 14 inches deep or 12 inches deep, they care if like the product's cool and they found value in the product. So that's what we've been focusing on less. So increasing costs to customers, but finding as much efficiency as possible. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And the other thing you mentioned was just like starting to plan and optimize differently. How do you, I mean, how do you think about that? I mean, planning is very hard 
and it's you know setting yourself up for as much as little commitment as possible first off um i think you know talking to an experienced planner and then also knowing that like they're probably wrong too we're living in in crazy times and we're not procter and gamble that's like a billion dollars of business and a hundred years of experience to know how things sell and how a recession affects this category or x y and z you know affects you know your product sales so you know it's hard and you know any business especially as young as ours it's designing it's planning and then knowing we're going to have to adjust the plan out for down 50 percent, you know soon and getting ready for it and designing for contingencies around that and that's effectively just been a big part of it just knowing that like hey we can't commit we can't lock anything in or we have or we're going to lock in as little as possible to make sure that we make the commitments that we can to customers. Got it. And so does that, does that mean, do you mean on the, um, like the customer side? So like you're trying to sell less product if you, if you don't, or you mean like in terms of like, like committing to is ordering as few products as possible. Yeah. I would say, you know, where, you know, the way we ship stuff, for instance, is like, we are not buying in bulk from our suppliers necessarily from day on like you know we're not trying to get inventory to land september 1st that we're going to sell through march 1st we are buying inventory that is arriving weekly effectively and so we're able to adjust up or down um the goods by week if we need to so if we ordered yeah if we ordered too much in september we can you know cut that for later in the season. And then if we ordered too little, we can ramp it up for later in the season. Um, Interesting. And so, so you're like putting yeah. in weekly orders instead of like, you know, Oh, we're ordering for the next eight months or the next four months. You're just like every two weeks putting in smaller orders. Correct. Yeah. And can anybody do that? Or like, you got to have really good terms, good relationship. How's that work? Yeah. I mean, it's all about having a good relationship with your supplier, being able to plan it out appropriately. And then also knowing that there are certain restrictions on, you know, long lead time item parts, right? If you have a hundred dollar product that you want to buy, you know, very few of, there's probably a part in there that has, you know, a a minimum order of a hundred thousand pieces. And you can say, okay, I'm down to order a hundred thousand of those pieces factory can you hold please hold you'll hold on to them for me um but that may only that hundred thousand pieces may be of a part that costs two dollars and you're like that's fine no problem like you just saved me you know 98 dollars on my on my bomb cost effectively um that you don't have to commit to now and that you can save for later and worst case maybe you have to throw some, some of those away or they wait till next season or something like that, where you can come back and reuse them later, but Got you're not it. committing I, to the full order. Got it. I see. I see. No, that makes sense. And then is this something like, have you seen other brands like use this strategy to grow really quickly without having too much overhead? Is that where you got that? Or is this like something that you just figured out along the way? No, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's how retailers work. you retailers buy from you like every Tuesday. Like you just get an order from a retailer every Tuesday and you're like, this is mis- this is miserable <laughs> from the like seller side. But from the buyer side, you're like, I'm going to hold one week of inventory. It's perfect. And um, so, you know, we're effectively translating that over, but, you know, it requires a very good understanding of, um, you know, your supply chain, it requires a really good relationship with the suppliers and it requires work. It's not easy. And, you know, depending on your scale, it may not be the right, it, it may be so much work that there's no value added. Got it. By, by you, doing that, you may not have the efficiencies yet. Got it. So if you're too small, it doesn't make sense. Or exactly. Right. Where oh, okay. it's just like, oh, does it make sense to have a full-time planner for a business that's doing a hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue. No, it doesn't like, it doesn't matter how well that business is planned. You're it's only going to do a hundred thousand dollars. That's not the problem. Revenue. It's not going yeah, yeah. exactly. to planning so, is not what's holding you back. Yeah. Um, so it just very much depends. Got it. And then what is the current state of getting something 
to the US. I mean, I'm sure it's changing all the time, but I know you already mentioned, you know, door to door on a fast boat went from like 20 days to now a hundred days. What's your, what's the, what's the current state? And then where do you, when do you see it getting all cleaned up? If you know, anytime soon at all. I, I mean, it's still at that like hundred day mark. It's crazy. I think, you know, the, um, and sometimes you get boats in faster, but it's, it's really tricky. Um, it's really hard. I don't know how the world is, is going to change. I'm, I'm very intrigued how the new iPhone is going to launch in this state. Air prices have gone up and stuff like that. When Apple launches the new phone, like the world, the world freight system falls apart for three weeks because they buy literally every piece of air freight, um, in the world. And like prices are insane. Um, so I'm intrigued what's going to happen this year and how they do it. That's crazy. Um, What do you think is going to happen? I think price one, there's going to be delays on their product. I mean, it looks like there's already delays on their current products. Prices are going to go up. Um, but I think, you know, the state of inventory in in the U S people had, have a lot of inventory now in the U S like everyone's been talking about the fact that there's like there, there are warehouses that there is, we're running out of warehouse space in the U S because there's so much inventory um, that we'll see. And like, I know the target got in a lot of trouble, like on their, on their most recent renting calls, I think, cause I had too much inventory of something of like furniture, yeah. TVs. Like, and we're going to have a discount like crazy in like the next month or two. I'm like, all right, I'll wait to buy a few things. Yeah. So I think it's more that it is uncertain. I think that is what's causing a lot of craziness and is it's just like purely uncertain no one knows what's going to happen and people are struggling to plan for it i would say we shouldn't expect anything to get better anytime soon Uh, and i think for product it affects our development cycles that you used to be able to airship a product because it wasn't that expensive it was still expensive we were like horrified at the expensive expense of air freight back in the day and now it's like, it, it's criminal how expensive it is. And like, it'll, it is pain. It is truly, truly painful. And it's for certain products. It just, you cannot do it affordably. You will just, you know, lose hundreds of dollars on every product you sell. If you have air freight, stuff like that. And that's something that's like and heavy, so, like a canopy humidifier, for example, right? It's not even heavy. It's, it's volume. Oh, the size. Yeah, exactly. That's the big thing. And so. Which isn't even that big. Like that's still not that big of an item. No, it's not at all. I mean, it's crazy to think that like I don't, our air freight costs for air shipping a humidifier is like $60. Per humidifier. Per humidifier. Yeah. Insane. So yeah, when you think about that and, you know, back in the day that would have been, I don't know, probably $20. $15. And that was like, you know, that was insane. We were like, that's crazy. Like, and now you can't do it affordably at all, unless you have very, very, you know, high, you know, cost de- or price density in a product like an iPhone, like a, a like an Apple laptop where it's like, okay, we're going to air freight a, a brick that weighs, <laughs> you know, that costs $3,000. Like, no, no problem. Like we'll pay like, you know, 20 bucks to air freight this thing. Um, but you know, that's a huge, you know, a huge problem with the, with the product development process now, because a product that used to take nine months to launch and we could say, oh, well, we'll air freight the first batch. And so now we had, you know, nine, eight and a half months for product development. If we want to launch in nine months, three of those months is just shipping now. So all of our development times just got slammed and squeezed because, you know, a third of it is just like, it's going to sit on a boat and we can't do anything about it. And now a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Recharge. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. As a fast growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution, helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities. 
turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omni-channel brand, subscriptions strengthen your brand's relationship with your customers and make it easy for consumers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with the subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash e-commerce leaders. And now back to the show. Yeah, (laughs) that is not, not ideal, not ideal at all. And then how do you, I mean, it's just like hundred days is a really long time. It's like a third of a year in my mind, even though it's not quite, but yeah. Yeah. It's wild. I don't even know what to say. I don't have any comments on that. Uh, it's, it's I, I mean, it's like, imagine <laughs> like you can, you know, write an email, but you don't get to test it for a hundred days after that and see <laughs> right. if it works or not. Like, it's like the world, the e-commerce business, like you can never optimize it. You're just like, who knows? Like, yeah. What about like moving manufacturing to somewhere else? What does that look like? Because I, I think that's people's first thought is like, oh, well, you know, it takes forever to come over. Like, let me just bring it closer. Um, but I know options are limited for that. Um, I'm sure you get asked that a lot. I'm sure clients since 2020 have been like, oh, how do we make this in the US? Or how do we make it in Costa Rica or wherever? Yeah, I mean, there are absolutely ways to do it in like in the US or nearshoring. It is a function of like price is a huge cost is a huge part of it. And it's also a function of, of commitment. So when you look at suppliers in the U S there are certain things that have to be, be made in the U S for either compliance requirements or regulatory. So when you look at medical devices, they effectively have to be made in the U S the vast majority of them, um, or it's a lot easier to make them in the U S and for military equipment and high-tech products that are a restricted because the U S government have to be made in America because of trade secrets and because of, you know, ITAR and all these things where you don't want to like export military grade stuff all over the world. Do you guys work on products like that? We don't, we don't. Um, and (laughs) it's a, I mean, if we worked on a, like a hundred days on a boat is nothing for the fact that those products take 30 years to develop. So Andrew is not a client. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, those types of products have to be made in the U S and so as a result, manufacturing in, in the U S is oftentimes constrained to say that, Hey, we're a, you know, an electronics manufacturer in the U S we make stuff for the U S government. We make stuff for medical device companies. And they're like, Oh, you want to make a consumer good that has to be, $10 and they're like, well, we make this box out of titanium for the U S government and they pay us a thousand dollars for it. Like, right. I don't know. We really want to like make, you know, a hundred thousand of these like $10 products and like have to hire all these people and have to do all this labor. When like, we could like have one dude making like, you know, a thousand dollar box for the U S government. And like, it's super easy relatively. And we know they're going to pay. They're all they're, they're always going to pay. Like, right. and we we know their orders are going to be around for the next however long. Like, you know, if you're working on something for Boeing, like, you know, you know, the seven eighty seven or or whatever, the most recent plane was not a good or what what was it the the seven thirty seven Max A was not a good example, but like. They're going to make that plane for the next like 60 years. Like if you get that contract, you never have to look for another client. That's what we're competing against in the consumer good space. And so in certain categories, there's great manufacturers. Packaging, the U.S. has amazing corrugate and packaging manufacturers because so much of it is is automated. The U.S. has great bottling facilities because like so much of it's automated and it like doesn't make sense to ship. The U.S. is great injection molding for large volume parts because it's really easy to mold something in America because there's very little labor. 
um, can they actually very few injection molds are actually made in America now. They're almost always made in China and shipped over because it's so much cheaper. They're so much more efficient at building molds in China. And it's one of like kind of the crazy things that happened to injection molds injection to make a consumer. And that's one reason why, you know, consumer goods and custom consumer goods and things like that got so efficient in the past few years and cost effective was you could make a custom product for a quarter of what you could, you know, in the eighties, because China got so good at making injection mold it molds so quickly um, and so inexpensively. So that, that was really interesting that I don't think anyone saw coming with, you know, the, the introduction of China because molds are extremely complicated. It's like a very specialized industry, the tool and die category used to be a very, very big U U.S really only industry that unfortunately went is almost non-existent anymore. There are very few tool and die makers left in America because it all moved to China. But all that to be said, things can be made in the US. It's very hard or, or near shore, but it's very hard to make the diversity of products that you see uh, in a consumer, you know, general consumer products made in, in the US, but it is absolutely possible it is a function of commitments to suppliers. So, you know, something that a Chinese or, you know, oftentimes the foreign suppliers will ask is, you know, what's the minimum order that you're trying to, or what's your year one order? And that's where they can say like, okay, like this makes sense. You're going to make 10,000 or 20,000 pieces in your first year. You know, they'll, they'll break even in the first year, first order and call it. And like anything above that is, is great. And they make money on it. But in the first order, they kind of break even. When you talk to a US manufacturer, they ask, how long is this product going to be in market? And they are looking for a product that is going to be in market for five to 10 years because they want to set it up and forget it for five to 10 years. <laughs> That's hilarious. And like, yeah. I mean, it makes sense though. Like, especially the medical devices, like if you're making bionic arms that insurance companies are going to pay like $200,000 for or whatever, you know, to put, you know, to give somebody a new shoulder, like it just makes a lot of sense versus, you know, pumping out phone cases that are going to change their design every week or, you know, whatever, like the iPhone changes every year, like you said, and just like, it's like, yeah, screw that. Uh, we'd rather make this seat armrest for the next <laughs> 50 years for a plane. Um, yeah. And it makes sense. Exactly. I mean, I don't blame it. I would too. I would much rather <laughs> yeah. do it. What about like, are there any other specific countries that are like on the come up that brands should be looking at or thinking about? Um, I know like, you know, for speed and quality, China still seems to be the go-to. I think you gave us a great overview of the US and the current state. What about like any other countries come to mind? I think, you know, one of the biggest things to think about is the product category. And every, you know, country has an, in, an industry, right? When you work at, when you look at wood products, like, Canada has great wood products, like great woodworking, like things like that will come out of there because they've got a great timber industry. And then when you look at Mexico, there's tons of great soft goods. Um, and then, you know, each region, you'll start to see unique expertise, like pockets of expertise around certain products. And it generally happened that, you know, like Nespresso built a coffee, a coffee maker assembly plant there. 20 years ago and then like the general manager went and started his own factory and then like then there's like this pocket of knowledge that is based there and then you're like oh you know now there's space for someone else to come in um, but it's really dependent on each country and it's really interesting to see which which countries have the expertise or not um, you know when you look at aluminum packaging it's like there's a ton in Europe France makes like a ton of aluminum packaging. Poland makes a ton of aluminum packaging that we work with. Um, and I don't, I don't know why, I don't know how that happened. Um, but it's really interesting to see. And you, you see pockets of, um, certain types of, you know, manufacturing expertise in each one of these regions. And it's generally because there was one factory or one business there that then multiplied and you had this synergy. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it's super interesting how it happened. What about visiting in person? Um, is that still something that's done? Or what does that look like today in 2022? Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really hard. 
I would say. I mean, in you know China, the world is shut down, so you can't get in there, um, which is very, very difficult. And you know, we've relied on team members on the ground there. Um, I would say, you know, where I can, you know, introduce factored quality, which is you know the third business that we founded, and it was a you know great merger of door a, a doorstep vertical and um which was our quality control and compliance business with um a team that was coming out of y combinator that was trying to build um tech for the supply chain management vertical and product development a a vertical trying to build software for them and so we merged the two kind of our quality control and compliance vertical with their software team and we built a platform for quality control and compliance and part of you know what we were doing during covid was video tours of factories where because people could not get in factories they couldn't audit them themselves you couldn't get face to face with your suppliers so we were sending in inspectors with cameras <coughs> that were live streaming the inspections that when we were setting up assembly lines which we would normally go to. I was in China every six weeks for years, besides the fact that I was living there, but we were there all the time. And, you know, the team at Factory Quality, we were able to build up the infrastructure to enable both Doris Dev and our clients to get exposure to um, what the factories were doing and enabling both the engineers, designers, and clients to see what was happening on the line in real time for you know, one, to improve quality, two, to educate the whole team on the process and where defects could arise from um, and show clients like this is the product development process and this is your product getting made in real time. Um, so that's been a, a, um, a learning. And I think, you know, we, the world went to Zoom during that time and kind of so, so did we. I would say the best part is like, no, we didn't have to do factory dinners. I factory dinners <laughs> were miserable. Like I, I can't eat like weird crab in China anymore. I've like, I've and done is that it like a times. cultural thing? Like you have to like out of respect. That's the side. I know nothing about this side, which is why I wanted to have you on the show to like, for me to better understand, like what are our clients going through these last couple of years? Cause you know, I'm ignorant. We're pressing. I'm, I mean, not completely, but you know, I have no idea what goes on in their <laughs> ERP or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you do. You definitely like, you know, I mean, it's part of the culture for sure. I would say it's a it's both an excuse for, you know, a factory manager to be like, I can expense a fancy dinner with yeah. a like with a client. And like, I mean, think about it like, you know, you've got you've got customers. You want to hang out with them when they come to town. Like you want to show them a good time. And it's like, for sure, I would say that like. And I'm, you know, no offense to, you know, you, but their customers may be like, I'm tired. I really don't want to hang out with you that much. Like we talk all the time, like, let's do like quick drinks. And like, I'm going to go to my hotel room and fall asleep. Um, And I would say that that's very similar to like the, you know, the factory dinner culture, but it's, you know, it's a great time for them and they get to, you know, hang out with, you know, both their customers, they get to hang out with the you know, the rest of their team and you get to, you know, socialize with them where you're not on the factory floor with them, which is where you spend a lot of your time. I would say there's always the like joke of, you know, you being the like Guilo, like the white guy in, in the room of like eating, you know, them trying to convince you to eat a funny thing. And like, it's funny. And it's like, you know, you got to yeah. play that role sometimes. No, and I bet it's awesome until you're, you know, working across over 25 brands and then you have like 25 of these dinners lined up <laughs> in a row when you're, you're doing product development for not just yourself, but all these other brands too. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and it's fun with the factory, you know, the factory managers, their team comes to the US for trade shows. We get to show them a good time. Do the same thing. Yeah, That's exactly. Awesome. What about, and I know we're, we're running out of time here, but I'm curious. So you've got a lot of brands that you work across. You've got your three companies that you work across. What does, what does a week in your life look like? Do you sleep at all? Or, you know, especially with all the changes in the supply chain and manufacturing, all these things, rapidly growing a brand through it all. Like how do you manage your time and what does a day or week in the life look like? I mean, every day is different and it like ranges from 
100% client work to 100% canopy work to 100% factory quality. It's like all over. Um, and I think, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, we've got a great team at all three businesses. And over the past few years, you know, my role has changed. You know, four years ago, three years ago, I was the only person at the entire company to be able to open up a 3D design file. And like now we have effectively 15 people in CAD doing it. And it's like, great, I don't have to do that anymore. And I miss it a little bit. Like, I think as I've gotten into this role where I've been like, oh, I get to work with great people. I rely on them a lot. But it's like, sometimes I like to just like push a team member over and like, let me play in the 3D file, like design. Uh, But, you know, much more of my time is spent on calls than I ever wanted it to be. And, you know, doing less and less work. Um, But I think, you know, in the world of product development, it is because we are dealing with China, because we're dealing with Europe, because we're dealing with everyone, like we're on calls. I have calls from 7 a.m. to 11 at night. It is not uncommon for me to take a call from bed in the morning and then take a call from bed in the evening. Like that's how, that's how it works. And it is miserable. But Thursday and Friday, no calls at night. That's the rule. Nice. I was going to say, like, when do you, when do you eat? It sounds like Thursday and Friday. <laughs> Uh, no, no, that makes sense. And, uh, I know it's like in the beginning, it's like, yeah, I run these three companies. And it's like, the reality is like, yeah, I'm on a lot of calls. And it's like, there's no, I feel like everyone's looking for a secret answer. And it's like, no, like it's, yeah, it's a lot. And it's like, well, how do you manage the time zones? It's like, I just do like, it just is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say, I mean, it's working with great people. A great team member sure. can do so much and a bad teamer team member can just make your life miserable. I think, you know, that's, you know, what we're really, really lucky to have at Dorstev and Canopy and Factory Quality is working with really, really great people and bringing great people on and they feed off each other and they challenge each other. And then, you know, then life's easy. I mean, the rest of it's very easy after that. Yeah. No, that's awesome. No, no, it's a, it's a great point. Well, Hey, Lucas, I've really, I can keep talking to you forever. Um, so many good things to dive into, but, uh, really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Um, you know, if someone's looking for product development, looking for a new humidifier or, you know, need some inspections done, uh, overseas, where can they go find you and your companies? I mean, yeah, Dorostev, Canopy, Factory Quality, Google them. We'll link it all up in the show notes below too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Slide into our DMs on, in, on, in, on Instagram. I answer all of those generally. So get out. Get at me. <laughs> we we've got great SEO. You need to name that, make that the parent company uh, tagline. We've got great SEO. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Lucas. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wavebreak Podcast. If you're not subscribed on iTunes or Spotify, go hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you're not on our email list, go sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. You'll join other e-commerce leaders at brands like Skims, Cartier, and Walmart, and thousands more learning exactly what's working in e-commerce right now. You won't want to miss it. Sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. It's free. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day.